Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia. Guess what? Carlos Correa is not a New York man. <laughs> Boy, that whole Carlos Correa four hour extravaganza was something else. If you were on Twitter Tuesday night and I went to sleep, I got to tell you, I was very, very tired. So I went to sleep and I woke up at about 1130. Because I wake up every two hours. Those are my sleeping habits. And I wake up to text messages from Pete Hoffman, from the Mets text chat that I'm in, letting me know that Ken Rosenthal has dropped the bomb. The Mets are in on Carlos Correa. And when I read it, I still didn't believe it. Because there was no way in my mind the Mets would be involved in a long-term contract pursuit of Carlos Correa. So as I was you know, laying in bed, half in a bag, I thought to myself, the only way they'd go after him is on a short-term big money deal. And logic says Carlos Correa doesn't want that because he just had a short-term big money deal and he just opted away from $35 million. So look, if Steve Cohen was able to go to Scott Boris and say, listen, man, we're going to give you a one-year deal at $40 million, so you're getting a pay raise, I'm all for it. For one year with the huge tax number, bring him in, move him to third base, let's go. But I never thought, A, the Mets would or I would give him a 10-year contract. And that's what he was looking for, and that's clearly what he was going to get. He obviously got more than that. But between what Trey Turner got years-wise and Xander Bogarts got years-wise, even when the story came out, my thought was, there's no way they're involved in that negotiation. Short-term, yes. Long-term, no way. So I had that thought for about five to 10 minutes, and then I passed out my own drool. Then I woke up a few hours later to see that he signed with the Giants. <laughs> so Pete and I had no time to record a special Carlos Correa podcast, a special Carlos Correa Rico Bronia, because he came and he went, and it was all done in like three hours. Yeah, we felt like the San Francisco Giants when they had Aaron Judge. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but listen, I never really thought that Carlos Correa was really going to happen either. Like you said, it never, I, especially when the rumors started coming out, it wasn't like, oh my God, we're going to get him. I thought it was a nice idea. I did think it would be cool. But when I saw the numbers, I'm like, yeah, we're not stupid. We're not going to make that move. And I'm okay with it. We move on, get J.D. Martinez. I, I don't even think, and we'll get to J.D. And we'll, this episode will be a lot about offense. So we will kind of go in and look at specific guys they can add and how they can improve this team offensively and what they need to improve 
about this team offensively. So that'll be our main focus. Uh, but before we get there, did you ever think it would have been wise to give Correa a 10-year contract? Forget 13 years. Forget that. That's off the top. You knew is what he was looking for. Considering the years that Turner got and the years that Seager got last year and the years that Bogart's got and even the years Lindor got last year, that his ultimate ask was going to be for a mega contract. Were you ready to give that to Carlos Correa? I mean, I kind of was, but I don't think I was going to go as high as 10. I thought maybe we can do it for eight. I guess that's where I was like reasonably thinking back in my head. Like if it's an eight year deal, the AAV wasn't that bad, to be honest. And I'm like, we can live with that. Give an opt out in there somewhere in the mix. If he, if he wants that, no trade clause, but to give him the opt out, I feel like that might trigger something too. Like, hey, you know, if you think you're that freaking good in three years, opt out and go somewhere else. That's fine. I think we're learning about Steve Cohen, and I think he likes to have flexibility. And this team has a lot of financial flexibility over the next couple of years. Obviously, Lindor is going to be here for a while. We know Brandon Nimmo is going to be here for a while. And eventually, there'll be other guys here for a while. I mean, I'm hopeful Pete Alonso will have a long-term contract. Shohei Otani will have a long-term contract soon. Dude, um, if they whiff on if they whiff on Otani, this thing is just going to be a huge waste of time for this. No, year. it's not because the following year, Juan Soto's a free agent. They'll oh, go get hey, him. Oh, sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah. That's the way you have to treat it. So, one thing I do want to address that I thought was really, really interesting, and if you haven't seen this, uh, consider me your mailman on this because I'm a sucker, and by being a sucker, I pay for a lot of annoying services such as ESPN Insider, such as the Athletic. So ESPN released an article on Wednesday in which it was a real specific account of Aaron Judge and how he ended up re-signing with the New York Yankees. Now, this is not a Yankee podcast, so let's get right to the reason I'm bringing this up. There was a paragraph about the Mets, specifically the Mets' interest in Aaron Judge. Uh, There are a lot of Mets fans out there, Pete is certainly one of them, who had brought up many times why they're not going after Judge, why they're not going after Judge, why they're not going after Aaron Judge. We know that SNY's Andy Martino, big friend of the show, uh, made the comment that the Mets wouldn't go after him out of respect for the New York Yankees. Well, I'm going to read to you a paragraph. This is from ESPN Insider. I don't even know if Hoff's heard about this yet. Specifically, their thoughts about Aaron Judge and a potential pursuit of Aaron Judge while he was a free agent. And now this is from the Mets side of things. This is from Buster Olney's reporting in an ESPN article. So Got it. uh, it's what he heard about the Mets' interest in Aaron Judge, and you tell me how you, how you guys take this, all right? The New York Mets discussed Judge in their internal evaluations as they prepared for the offseason, and they met with Odell, Odell is the agent of Judge, at the GM meetings, all right? But they informed Judge's representatives that their offseason priority we'd be the pursuit of starting pitching. And if these holes were addressed and Judge was still unsigned, the two sides might pick up those threads. But the expectation within the Mets organization after the GM meetings was that Judge would be off the board by the time the rotation was filled. And generally, that's how it played out. As Justin Verlander agreed to terms with the Mets a couple of days before Judge signed, and then the Mets subsequently signed veterans Jose Quintana and Kodai Senga. So based on this reporting, the Mets met with Judge's agent and said, look, our priority is replacing Jake. Once we're done doing that, we may circle back. 
your thoughts on that, Pete? Um, I think there's a little cover up here, personally speaking. Yes. Because of the other um, outings basically saying that, you know, Cohen is not going to do go for judge because out of respect to Steinbrenner, I think that had to be kiboshed. So they put this out there. Realistically, even the Mets knew that at that point in time he was going to be signed and it was never in the cards. I get it. But I think this is just this is just to fluff it up a little bit. But like, look, we were gonna we were gonna do it. We were, we were gonna we were gonna get there. It, it, it's it's so weird because I understand why the rotation was a major priority. It's simple math on this. The Mets only had one free agent from their lineup, and that was Brandon Nemo. You know, everybody else is under contract, so there was not a lot of flux when it came to the Mets lineup outside of the decision around Brandon Nemo. There was a ton of flux with this rotation. Now, you had three-fifths of the rotation. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And really four-fifths before they made the decision on Carlos Carrasco, but three-fifths of the rotation were free agents. Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, Jacob DeGrom. So obviously the rotation was something that they needed to address. They need to either re-sign everybody or replace each guy. We saw what they did. They replaced each guy. But what doesn't add up to me is when you're an elite-level free agent like Aaron Judge, you're not a guy who you tell to them, hey, we're going to circle back once we fix these other things. You make that guy a priority. So if you have interest in Aaron Judge, despite questions on your team otherwise, you don't tell his agent, just give us a few days. We're more worried about Jose Quintana. Like, that doesn't make any sense. No, and then especially on top of it, the rumors coming from Morosi hard was Aaron Judge is signing before the winter meetings are over. They're saying we'll circle back after it's over. Everyone knows he's going to be signed. So what are we really talking about here? And look, here, here's the truth on this. So the crux of the article is Aaron Judge had three choices. To go home and play for the Giants, his childhood team, to take the money and go play for the Padres, or to continue his legacy and play for the Yankees. As much as we adore Steve Cohen and we're Met fans and we love the Mets, the only appeal the Mets were going to have was to pay him the most money. They were going to have to go the Padres route of saying, here's 10 years, $400 million. And I don't know if that was ever going to be enough. So I, I, I don't necessarily believe the story that Cohen had respect for the Yankees. I think it was more, he kind of knew the deal. He knew that signing Aaron Judge was just an unrealistic thing. Maybe he didn't want to give him 10 years also, by the way. Guy's 31 years old. You know, he, he may say that's not a smart investment. So the investment man in him could say, A, that's not smart. And the other side would be, I don't want to lose him. Because one thing about Steve Cohen so far, through three off seasons, who has he gone after hard, realistically, and not gotten? Think about it. Who have they said, this is our target and not gotten? You want to give me Trevor Bauer? I mean, give me other examples because they didn't go after Jacob DeGrom. Like, that's just the reality we all have to face. They really didn't want him back. 
They may should have signed JT Realmuto three years ago, but they made a decision not to. So I think there's also that, hey, we don't want to go after someone hard and then fail and not get them. The only person that was even remotely close to that is Ben Correa. He popped up out of the woodworks for five minutes. That's been it. Oh, the Mets are interested. But other than that, like if you see a name attached and the Mets, they usually get signed. And I, mean, I don't Bur- think they and I don't think they were going after Correa. I've got two theories about Carlos Correa. Number yes. one, I think they would have absolutely engaged on a short term deal and said, you know what? We love that. Because that's basically what the Mets have been doing. And I think they may have given Scott Boris a favor and said, all right, Scotty, you helped keep the AAV low on Brandon Nemo. We appreciate it. Let's drum up interest that we're intrigued to get the Giants to just seal the deal. Because the Giants had to sign them. You know, whether it's a good signing or not, that's for a, a San Francisco Giants podcast. They could call that the Marvin Bernard if they want. We have the Rico Bronya. They have the Marvin Bernard. I like Marvin Bernard. The JT Snow whatever they want to call it on their podcast, they could debate or not if that was a good contract or not. Considering the hype of the offseason, the Giants needed to walk away with somebody. Now, let's get to this lineup because I think a common belief, and you've certainly had it, is that they've got to get better offensively. So let's go a little deeper on this. The Mets scored a lot of runs last year. We all know that. You know, We went over this last time. I think they finished in the top five runs scored for the first time in 30 years. But... They had an issue at two positions. There were two positions on the diamond in which the New York Mets offensive production was beyond pathetic. We'll start with the obvious, which was catcher. Tomas Nito started 88 games. James McCann started 54 games. And then you've got Patrick Mazika, who started 21. Michael Perez, five. Francisco Alvarez, two. Bottom line is bulk of the offense behind the plate was carried by Nito and James McCann. They hit a combined five home runs. They drove in a combined 43 runs. They had an OPS of 569. Dude, this was pathetic. Amongst the 30 teams in Major League Baseball, the Mets ranked in 29th, 29th in home runs by catchers. If you want to go to OPS, they were 26th. So I want to start there. As good as the defense was of Tomas Nito, and we all love him, and he was relatively clutch, the offensive production behind the plate was beyond bad. They are naturally upgrading that right off the top with Francisco Alvarez. I can't tell you what his final numbers would be, Pete, but do you agree he will hit higher than 217? Do you agree with that? I, I think he'll run into more balls, and then when it comes to the power, there's no question. I mean, they hit six home runs from the catching position, and the reason I'm not saying seven is because the seventh was hit by Alvarez when he finally got a chance to play. So I'm not saying this is the magic elixir. I just want to be smart about this discussion and kind of look at how they can improve offensively and how they already are improving offensively, and then where they may go backwards offensively. Catcher has to be better. And assuming they go with the game plan of Alvarez catching at least half the time, I've been a proponent of half the time and then DH half the time. Look, I'm open to him catching all the time. If the guy can catch and he has a good chemistry with this veteran rotation, which is going to be key, he's 20 years old. He's catch 40-year-olds and 39-year-olds and 34-year-olds. 
But if he can develop a good chemistry with this staff and throw out runners, because I think that's going to be a bigger kind of impact in baseball in 2023 because of the bigger bases, then even if he's a quarter of the player we think he is, the New York Mets will improve incredibly at the catching position offensively. Now, it's funny because you say you see him catching half the games. I'm just – I'm not saying I have this a huge concern because I'm all about offense. Like, I'm like, hey, listen, if the guy's got a bat, put find the way to get him on the field. I don't care. And you do have two pitchers in Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer that I think they could pitch to my 12-year-old. You know what I mean? Right, like, it, right. I think they're that good. So maybe he's going to learn on the job that way. But there's got to be a bit of concern. Like, we saw, just not to relate it to, like, a Yankee thing, but we saw Gary Sanchez for years suck behind the plate. Is that realistic that we can Mets fans can visualize 81 games from Francisco Alvarez behind the plate? I think he's got to play. I think the only way you get better is playing. And I think what was concerning about Gary Sanchez is that he got worse, is that he went backwards. And everything I've heard about Alvarez is as young as he is, he works his ass off. And I think you just have to catch guys. You got to catch Verlander. You got to catch Max Scherzer. And then you got to hope he's putting the effort in and he's only going to get better and better. Tomas Nito was a really good catcher. Um, offensively, look, I can't make his numbers look good, but I think if you watch the Mets like we all do, you know that Tomas Nito would run into a clutch hit every once in a while. James McCann would never do that. That would never happen with him. But with Tomas Nito, occasionally, he'd run into a big hit. So I think as this season progresses, depending on the growth of Alvarez behind the plate, That'll dictate how much more Tomas Nito plays. The other thing that may dictate it is the production you're getting out of DH. 